Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Donald Trump signs the new North American free trade deal. We're finally ending the NAFTA nightmare and signing into law the brand new U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Very special. Very, very special. The government secures a plane to evacuate Canadians from the areas in China affected by the coronavirus. Now the next step obviously is to work on the diplomatic front and the logistics obviously with our uh, Chinese counterparts. Uh, we are engaging in discussion as we speak. And I also want to advise Canadians that we have changed our travel advisory to uh, advise Canadians to avoid non-essential travel uh, to China. And a new report issues nearly 100 recommendations for Canada's broadcasting and communications landscape. It's good that there's a call to action, that there's a call to change. But I think what's being proposed and what the Liberals have in Minister Baines's mandate letter, uh, the, the options that they're floating in this broader space, it's not going to change it, right? It's, 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 it's fundamentally, it's layering bureaucracy upon an already bureaucratic system in a highly regulated space that an oligopoly has control over virtual, virtually everything. It's Thursday, January 30th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. Let's start with the North American free trade deal. Donald Trump has signed it. The federal government in Canada has introduced the legislation. Uh, They've encouraged the opposition to pass it quickly. Are we almost at the finish line after a long road uh, to complete a new deal to replace the one that Donald Trump promised to tear up? Yes, I think we are. I, mean, I don't there's any doubt that uh, the parties, the opposition parties, will uh, huff and puff, but nobody wants an election. And I think certainly the, the, the Conservatives want this to pass. The the block seems to be the, the pun intended, stumbling block. Um, there are concerns in Quebec that this might not be a good deal for the aluminum industry there. Um, Unlike the steel industry, which there were provisions in there which said uh, a certain proportion of steel has to be produced in North America, um, the wording is not as precise on, on aluminum, and it, it leaves a little bit of wiggle room, which suggests that the some aluminum could be sourced from, for example, Mexico, but it could actually be manufactured in, in China. So there's a little bit of concern that there could be some displacement, but... Francois Legault, the Premier of Quebec, wants this deal done. He thinks this is as good as it's going to get. doesn't want to risk reopening the whole thing. And I think the, the bloc will accept that logic after having had their concerns raised and put on the record. And that's kind of been Canada's whole negotiating stance from the outset, I think, is that a deal is better than no deal. Uh, so let's take what we can get, even though I think the government has pushed hard for some measures and, and negotiated effectively. Uh, and most people seem to give the government good reviews for their handling of this file, given how volatile Donald Trump is about these things. But uh, from a Canadian perspective, having a deal with the United States and Mexico is better than not having one, obviously. Right, right. I mean, I think that, you know, the the prospect of this thing could have been completely derailed and we could have lost the, the preferred nation status that we've got at the moment was always there, especially with a, a president as mercurial as Donald Trump. So, you know, I think that they, the Liberals got out of this thing not quite whole, but as, just about as good as 
could be anticipated. I remember during the election campaign, on the, almost the first week of the campaign, we were flying across the country, and for whatever reason, Andrew Shear decided, I think that a lot of candidates were getting thrown overboard at the time, and he decided to have a, meet the press at the back of the plane to complain about the NAFTA agreement and say that, it, it, that uh, Trudeau had given away the farm. And it, I remember writing a column saying that this is just not going to fly. You know, the country doesn't believe this. The country thinks, most Canadians think that we, we got away pretty, pretty lightly, given the potential downside. And it was something he didn't really bring up in the rest of the campaign because it just, I think that the, the, most Canadians just want this thing signed and sealed and delivered. And I think that's where we are right now. All right, let's turn to the coronavirus. There have been some developments. Public health officials have been speaking about it, keeping us up to date. Uh, The government has been uh, providing updates as well. Air Canada has suspended flights to Beijing and Shanghai. Uh, Do you feel like every angle has been covered uh, in in trying to stop the spread of this virus? Well, I I mean, it's it's obviously very complicated. Who knows whether the screening mechanisms at, at, at airports are going to be sufficient. You know, there was a there were reports that um, you may not need to, you, you could have it and still not be showing symptoms, in which case the screening is not going to catch it. There were concerns that when, when we had SARS all those years ago that not one person was caught by the screening at airports. Um, I think more concerns were, were, were we going to see the, the Canadians... Uh, in Wuhan, removed by that they want to leave. They want to leave China, and the Canadian government seemed to be hemming and hawing a little bit as to whether they were going to try and get them out. While the, the foreign nationals from Germany, Australia, Britain, even Morocco were being uh, airlifted. So it sounded yesterday as if that is going to happen. Now that they've, they've found a plane, they're trying, now trying to negotiate with the Chinese as far as landing and getting the permission to take those. Canadians on board. So I think, you know, the government is in an extremely difficult position. Most of this year, it seems to have been sort of on the back foot. They've caught, uh, you know, almost caught short by events. The Iranian bombing, the Newfoundland uh, storm, now this. Um, You know, and and governments are kind of judged on whether they are, how they react to crisis. And I think it's, it's too early to say that they've done poorly or well at the moment. All right, let's turn to the recommendations of a panel on the future of communications in the country, including television, streaming services, and other uh, industries uh, within the communications field. Uh, They're recommending that Netflix and other streaming services charge GST. Uh, They're also saying the CBC should stop selling ads eventually. There are other recommendations as well. What do you make of all of that? Well, I think they're pretty uh, common sense recommendations, to be honest. And for the most part, I'm not sure about the mandating Canadian content and streaming services. I'm going to be a big fan of mandated anything, to be honest. But certainly not mandated content. I'm not sure that they that consumers should be told what they should listen to or what they should watch, or you know, will they be given a, a limited choice because there has to be a certain amount of Canadian content? Um, you know, I always compared. Canada with Scotland. I mean, the, the Scottish music, uh, book industry, all these things, they were not mandated. They still survived because people wanted to read about uh, stories that were close to them and hear about music that was produced by people who were local. Um, 
I always thought that CanCon was almost a byword for mediocrity, you know, and, I don't, and I, that's not to decry a lot of the Canadian content because there's some fabulous stuff that's produced, but there's also some dross, and it's, the dross is a the byproduct of mandated CanCon. Um, so not a big fan of that, but the, the ad-free CBC thing I think is, is logical. Over a period of five years, the CBC should wean itself off commercials. I mean, you know, should the CBC be in the business of producing its own version of Family Feud? Um, you know, if it's chasing ratings like that, then it's not, in my opinion, uh, fulfilling the mandate, which is, you know, telling the stories that would not be told elsewhere. Right. So I, I, I like that uh, that part of it. You know, there's a whole bunch of other um, areas that they've gone into. I think those are the, the, the two, two big ones in you know, let's say I'm in favor of one and not the other. All right, let's talk about the conservative leadership race. Some interesting developments. Uh, there are rumors that people are trying to pressure John Baird to run. It looks like Candace Bergen is not going to run. Uh, you wrote recently about the fact that all of the conservative candidates so far uh, seem to be opposed to putting a price on carbon, which I find interesting. I, I realize that there are dynamics here around winning the leadership versus which you've got to do first before you have a chance to win an election. But uh, it, uh, it it seems like the kind of thing that could be a wedge issue in a future campaign uh, and and that if, if you're a liberal supporter or a strategist, you'd probably be happy to see the conservative candidates opposing a carbon tax. Yeah, well, I interviewed McKay on, on Sunday, and, and uh, some of the things he was saying were, you know, because you could see him shifting on some of the social issues. He's now applied to take part in the Toronto Pride Parade, um, and he's been pretty vocal. And, and uh, you know, uh, the ambiguity with which Andrew Shear approached the issues of same-sex marriage and abortion, I think that that's going to that's going to go. But it did sound to me like McKay was echoing what Shear had said on carbon tax, which you know I think. Marilyn Gladue, who's another candidate, had said we need to have a more compelling offering. We need to what we were offering last time didn't resonate, um, and yet McKay had come out and said he wasn't convinced by what's happening in British Columbia. He said we're we're importing oil from some of the worst regimes in the world, including Iran and Venezuela, which we're not, by the way, and that you know by exporting our product. That was how we could make a big difference. Well, that, again, was what Shear was saying, but you could export it and it probably would make a difference. We would have been good for the Canada and good for the planet, but it would not help us meet our Paris targets because those are mandated to be whatever you produce or uh, inside the, your own borders. Um, you don't get credit for, for what you export. So I think that he probably needs to take a little bit of a closer look at what he's saying if if... He doesn't want to fall in the trap of, of winning the, the leadership and then finding he can't win the country. Yeah, I think the country has moved on. It wants it wants a credible carbon plan. I think it. I mean, it, it voted for carbon pricing. The majority of people voted for parties that were offering some form of carbon pricing, and the Conservatives have got to move towards that. I think. Um, other candidates, yeah. I mean, I think you, you, you mentioned Candice Bergen is out. John Williamson is taking a look at it. He, he's a, a New Brunswick MP, former colleague of mine at the National Post. Um, was elected, lost in 2015, but 
was really like in 2019. You know, I think it's hard if you've been out of the party for four years to come back in and say you want to want to lead it. Um, Michael Chong has said he's out. So unless Baird gets in, I think it's really still a, a two-horse race between Aaron O'Toole and Peter McKay. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll see if anything changes. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. Engaging in our allies is to understand what approaches they are taking. So, of course, there's a political dimension to it from that perspective. But we have been very clear that we're going to take the appropriate time that we need to make a decision that's in the best interest of Canadians to make sure that they feel safe and secure. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Wesley Wark asks if Canada will follow Britain's lead and let Huawei in. Wark writes... In Ottawa, all eyes will be on the British decision and on Washington's reaction. Britain's 5G announcement has long been awaited and may be considered a shield by the Liberal government should it consider adopting a similar policy on Huawei. If the Canadian government does follow the British path, there will be lots of work to do to adapt the philosophy of risk management to Canadian circumstances. In an editorial, the Hamilton Spectator argues bigotry is the virus we should be most worried about. The Spectator writes... Days after the first confirmed Canadian case of the new coronavirus was identified, social media content from the wacky to the dangerous began making the rounds. The worst blames Chinese people for the virus. Most of this stuff is just stupid, but it doesn't exist in a vacuum. Cranks and trolls can toss their garbage in and watch it circulate around the world. Even the most innocuous claims can get twisted into something much worse and can devolve into fermenting hatred. At iPolitics, Graham Thompson argues Jason Kenney needs to work with the federal government to quell unrest in rural Alberta. Thompson writes, After living through a painful recession, many parts of Alberta are still suffering. Jason Kenney has to decide which is more palatable to Albertans frustrated with a stagnant economy and relentless government cuts. Having the Alberta government continue to fight Ottawa over a carbon tax or working with Ottawa on climate change to win approval for the Tech Oil Sands project to improve the economy, create jobs, reverse cuts, and quell talk of rebellion in rural Alberta. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The long-awaited implementation legislation for the new North American free trade deal has been tabled in Parliament, and as CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, the Prime Minister is going to be selling the benefits of the trade deal one more time. Mark, the Prime Minister is going to be in Brampton this afternoon, where he will visit with ABC Technologies, a well-established and successful auto parts manufacturer. There he'll talk to employees and tout the benefits of the new NAFTA agreement. This coincides with the tabling yesterday of the legislation to implement Kuzma, or the Canada-USA-Mexico agreement. Debate on the second reading could start in the next day or two, but we don't know how long that second reading debate will take. After that, it will be sent to committee, and your guess is as good as mine is how long the committee hearings will last. Most people agree the numbers are there for passing the ratification bill, but the question is how long the process will take especially if you factor in the fact that the bill eventually will end up in the much more independent and much more unpredictable Senate. Thanks, Martin. Also coming up today, Innovation Minister Navdi Baines will take part in a fireside chat at the Canada 360 Economic Summit in Toronto. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, January 30th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.